Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Give Me Some Truth, and our topic... Or expats. Or expats. Or, or, or is this more of a whole... This is a firm-wide Give Me Some Truth, Dan. This is just absolutely just give me truth. Yep. Absolutely. And some of it. <laughs> and our, our topic for today is uh, a recap of Q1 market action. Um, so what Stan and I wanted to do is just, uh, you know, have a discussion about what's been a pretty eventful, uh, quarter overall, um, you know, both in the, the sort of regular everyday, uh, global news and market news as well. I, I, I just want to say from, from the, the get go here that like it's April 1st. Yeah. It's April fool's day. So I, I be ready for anything. So I, and um, but more importantly, it's April first, and I am in such a great mood today because I know what you think I'm going to say that you're wrong because it is no longer Q1. Right. <laughs> We're happy to be done. It was like, um, you know, we've been for a couple of years now. It seems like saying, "Hey, look, you know, it gets tougher from here." Mm-hmm. Well. Well, it hopefully doesn't get tougher from here here because um, it got tougher, right? It got tougher quickly. You, you could you could uh, you could just as easily lose five percent in stocks or bonds. Pick your poison. Either of them really stunk it up for right. uh, a, 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 a sustained period of time, right? Which is rare in 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 global markets, right? Yeah, it's been a rough Q one, and even it even started before. The beginning of the year, actually, yeah. even going back to the end of last year, really volatility and the market sell-off really started around Thanksgiving last year, and it wasn't yet about Russia or geopolitical tensions. It was more about right. U.S. monetary policy and the Fed tapering and all of that. Right. Uh, so you know things were already tough. We, in, we in got markets. We got in. We got double fisted like a turkey on Thanksgiving morning. <laughs> By, I remember that. First, it was the Fed. First, it was Fed, right? Mm-hmm. First, it was interest rates are coming up. This this inflation is a concern, mm-hmm. and then before the, the the next trading day, yeah, Omicron, right, right. Our the our first glimpses of Omicron, and it seemed to take about two weeks at most to like basically hit the entire globe, right? You know. So it was already tough coming into the year. Um, and then obviously uh, with Q1, the uh, war in Ukraine and the market reaction. And really, like you alluded to, it's been a, a tough quarter because there's been no real place to hide or, well... Smaller pockets to hide. Smaller pockets but to hide. But the larger asset class mm-hmm. is rough. So typically when you have a typical market sell-off, more defensive assets such as bonds will act as a buffer and will do well. Um, Here, you've got both inflation concerns and higher interest rates, and you've got a sell-off in the equity market, right? So the average diversified investor is invested in what? Stocks and bonds, right? That's your Your 60-40 or whatever your exact asset asset class mix happens to be. Sure. Uh, And if you look at the performance in Q1, really you've got maybe 
down five, six-ish percent for stocks, global stocks. And the same for bonds. And that's pretty unusual, right? So that's a combination of yeah. really poor performance that's made it really tough for a lot of diversified investors. Right. Well, I mean, in a, in a very low interest rate environment, which we've had for, for forever now, it seems like, right? right. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing that you tell your clients is, hey, you know, we st- you still got to own bonds. Not for yield, not for the income that they're going to throw off, but for the protection they'll give you in a challenging stock market, mm-hmm. right? So, and then this last quarter came around and, and they, 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 they didn't do their job, so to speak. Right. And for reasons that Absolutely. I'm sure you can provide very intelligent analysis on. But, uh, but for just everybody out there, that, you know, it just, it's one of those periods where you don't get the, the, what we would call negative correlation between bonds and stocks. Absolutely. And, and we've had positive correlation between bonds and stocks over, you know, during periods of time over the last few years. But sure. it's generally been because the, the Fed's cutting rates. <laughs> they were both and going up. are going down. Right. And so people want to buy bonds and stocks. Right. right. So, I mean, <laughs> correlations, which is the extent to which two asset classes move up or down together, um, is not stable over time. Right. And so whether it's positive correlation or negative correlation, you know, they don't stay the same all the time. And so, you know, in any given year, you could have very high degrees of correlation between two asset classes uh, or or not. So I think there are still really fundamental reasons why stocks and bonds are not very correlated. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's true that in recent years, um, even before all of this started, you know, like treasuries and stocks have been more correlated than they've been in the past. And I've often spoken about the market being a Fed-driven market. And so the the Federal Reserve pushing down interest rates, bond yields go down, bond prices go up, stock market goes up, right? And that sort of dynamic's been in place for many years, really. So you're already having an environment right now for the last few years where stocks and bonds are more correlated than they, they normally are. Right. And it's worked in, in, in investors' favor, in the investors' favor for, for, for a long time. And in Q1 this year, it's worked against investors for the most part. Yeah. So, I mean, so would you say that, that it's fair to say that over the last few years, you know, more of the government policies to guide and, um, you know, smooth out the economic cycles have been, you know, that the, the central banks of the world have played a greater role than they normally would, as opposed to fiscal policies that, that governments usually undertake, um, you know, also, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, think that's, that's what that, that hits the nail on the head, I think. Well, you know, and I think prior to COVID, so prior to 2020, uh, it was the mar- it was all about monetary policy. And what changed with COVID is that, you know, fiscal policy also became incredibly loose. So you used to have incredibly loose monetary policy and, you know, somewhat neutral fiscal policy. And after COVID, you had both being extremely loose. And I think that played an important role in the change in the inflation narrative, Um, you know, getting us to where we are now, which is an environment where inflation is running hot. And so that's going to put pressure on rates. 
and you're starting to see a lot of the market dynamics that we've had in place for the last few years kind of unravel here. Right. Um, now, a lot of the fiscal policy that was supposed to continue in the Biden administration kind of got watered down through, you know, opposition, of course, right? Right. We didn't get the $6 trillion infrastructure bill, right? We got something that was a fraction of that. Right. But we still got multiple rounds of, you know. But enough <laughs> free money floating around. <laughs> right. Uh, enough here's a check right. from the government just because it's COVID right. times. Right. Right. I mean, there's, I mean, the scale of the, the government intervention through fiscal policy has been, uh, you know, greater than even anything we've ha we had in the after the 2008 crisis, right? Right. So, um, you know, even though it maybe wasn't as ambitious as, as some politicians would have wanted it to be, uh, it was. It still had a really profound impact. Pretty historically, you know, relevant right. you know, amount of of loose policy. Absolutely. I mean, free money and, and, and FPP and all of that. Right? Absolutely. And I think to some extent, as I've said many times, you know, the market is addicted to it. Right. So. Yeah. Um, and. At the end of last year, you started to see all this talk about tapering. Obviously, that's been an important theme. Um, so volatility was already high. And then you got geopolitical uh, problems to add on top of that. This right. year, and exactly. so this year, this it's taking the, the 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 central bank policies, mm -hmm. and you've still got COVID issues. Yep, that's true. And well. then on top of that, we, we have you know um, Putin trying to put the old Cold War band back together again, trying to right. push back the Iron Curtain, trying to, to expand that boundary of influence a little bit more. Right. So, what has worked? In Q1, has anything worked? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Things that that the the thing, especially I think you know, predominantly in response to uh, to to inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the classic things that you want to own during inflationary periods, and, and and that would be commodities, right? And and obviously Russia being the number two world producer of oil. As right. uh, any any anybody that's listening here probably had to fill up the tank at some point in the last couple of days right. or weeks, and it's not happy about it, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, owning things like um, oil and gas derivatives, owning things like food commodity prices are up, really across the board, right? Metals, right, all up. Gold's mm -hmm. done well. Absolutely. And I think it's been a perfect storm, really, for commodities, because you already had the inflation s story that tends to favor hard assets and commodities. And then right. you've got the geopolitical tension uh, on top of it that also favors, you know, oil and energy because it makes it harder to um, to source them. And so if you look at sector performance so far this year, it's really quite amazing uh, that the best performing sector is energy. energy, energy. And, and it's not you know, buy a little bit. Right. <laughs> it's not like it's it's right. like energy and then daylight and then there's there's number two, right? So uh, I see through the first quarter, energy, if you look at sectors within the S&P 500, energy was up 37.7%. Yeah. The second best sector. 37%. Yes. I mean, that just sounds like a misprint, but that's, I know, that's right? a that's real That's number. why I'm looking at it. No, it is a real number. Uh, and the second best sector was utilities. 
Sure. But you know what the performance was? Um, something probably more around 3 or 4%. It was 4%. There you go. Right? Yeah. So pretty dramatic. The so, extent to which energy outperformed just about everything. Else. Yeah. I mean, utilities being the one thing that basically gets an automatic inflation pass, right? I mean, like you get to pass, mm-hmm. you get to hike your you get to hike your rates as energy rises, you know? Right. And, and, and pretty much a hundred percent. Right. So, you know, and what's interesting about it is, I mean, if you had to pick one unloved sector in the S and P 500 for the last decade, energy. It, it would have been energy. Absolutely. Right? I mean, no one likes energy. People have been reluctant to invest in it for, for many, many years. Uh, and it's been a, a just terrible performer, right? So all this frenzy of, you know, tech stocks that we've had in the last decade, decade. Um, if you were an energy investor, you you missed out on, <laughs> on this whole right. thing. So uh, not a great quarter for ESG compared to you know just basically uh, sh- you know eschewing uh, uh, cultural and moral value and just going straight to to producers of coal and petroleum. Right? <laughs> right. So I mean, and there's. There's, there are reasons other that are not investment related why people don't like to invest in, in, in energy stocks. And, and right. you alluded to one of them, if you have environmental concerns, obviously, uh, you would maybe want to stay away from energy re- regardless of how it performs. Um, and I think that trend has also uh, contributed to energy being so unloved, unloved. Right, over right. the years. Um, but yep. the fact is that it remains a absolutely critical strategic right uh sector of the economy right? right the economy runs on oil to a large extent uh and that's that's the reality I and mean, uh, I mean, energy got the double whammy because in my mind over the last decade i mean i've written about how the sectors have shifted within the s p mm-hmm. and how energy has been the biggest loser right right it, it's it's had it's had the, the greatest amount of shrinkage mm. as technology and communication services right. and consumer discretionary have boomed, mm-hmm. right? So there's the the natural index. I mean, as we become more index-related investors mm-hmm. and think about the trillions of quadrillions of dollars invested in both ETFs and index mutual funds, that just meant that much less was going to Chevron and Exxon right. and, 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 and that cohort because they became a smaller percentage of the S&P. So right. the index money didn't flow to mm-hmm. energy. Right. And then on top of that, then you've got the rise of ESG and you've got mm-hmm. ESG index ETFs, which are essentially like if you had a large cap U.S. ESG fund, it would be like pretty much... The, the S&P X Energy and, right. and, a, and, and a few other actors, I suppose, right. right? Yeah, and energy started from a really low base. And, and look, if you were to go back several decades, right, if you go back to the maybe the very late 70s or, or the early 80s, at the peak, I think energy was around 30%, maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. than 30% of the S&P 500 back then. Um, Wow. Now, fast forward to 2020, I think it, it, it dropped to as low as maybe 2.5%. Yeah. Somewhere in that area. That's profound. So that is a profound shift. Right. And and what else happened in 2020 that was kind of interesting and unique to energy? 
Oil futures going to zero. Yeah. (laughs) You literally had uh, a a commodity trade its futures at at zero or even negative. Very temp, very for just a little blip, but it happened. Right. And so, you know, there's a few other things that have worked well for investors. I mean, energy's done great. I would say going back to ESG, um, I think the market is perceiving something that looks like a like an energy crisis now. And I think actually, if you look at renewable energy producers, they've not they've not done uh, so badly this year. They've right. they've actually done okay. Been volatile. They've been but volatile, but but they've they've done pretty well. I would say mm-hmm. uh, they've done better than than many other sectors. And I think that's because people are starting to seriously consider the fact that with energy, traditional energy prices going up so much, uh, it's start to it's time to maybe start looking at alternative energy producers and and maybe the opportunity cost of um, you know those projects uh, yeah. has gone down a little bit with traditional uh, energy uh, uh, prices going up so much. Right, right. I mean, we always think about this, um, you know, as consumers, you know, everybody's, you know, excited to see more electronic vehicles on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, the, on the practical side, you have to also remember that, yeah, you're not going to fill up at the pump, but you're still, you still have to charge those things, right? And that's not free. Mm-hmm. And that's using some fossil fuel. It might be natural gas. It might be coal. Um, but it, it, in, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the more that price of gas rises, the more that Tesla starts to look like a better <laughs> economic choice, right. right? And for Europe, obviously, with, um, you know, I mean, there, there's no question in the world that a lot of this conflict is about Russia's ability to, uh, to exert direct force over the countries that control, you know, parts of the pipeline that they want into Germany, Right. Right. And um, and and it, Europe has to come to terms with this idea that you know if if they're truly going to not want to do business with Russia, right. that 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 puts a premium on more alternative mm-hmm. uh, sources of energy. Right. Absolutely. Right? And so, I think overall, what what we can learn from from Q one, I mean we had kind of a heart attack moment in, in markets um, when, you know, we first heard about the invasion of Ukraine uh, and there was a massive, massive sell off. I would say once again, however, uh, investors who were patient and did not panic ended up being rewarded by a nice rally or strong bounce really at the end of the quarter. So we'll have to see if that is sustainable. But once again, you've seen the value of not being overly reactive and not panicking, right? right. Uh, you don't want to be selling when everybody else is. So, so, so that's one takeaway. The second takeaway, um, going back to our discussion about different sectors and, and pockets that have done well, um, Again, you can see even in a quarter where stocks and bonds have both done poorly, there's still value in diversification. It's it's a little less obvious 
Right. Um, but as the environment shifts, there are winners. Yeah. There are still winners. Some value in sophistication, if I dare say so. Mm -hmm. Right. It sounds self-serving, but um, the idea of, you know, um, owning more than just the most obvious and traditional asset mm -hmm. classes can play a role in your portfolio right. because, you know, and, and it's always on full display when bonds and stocks are doing poorly. Right. right? Um, I, Jim Cramer, you know, he's, he's a bit of goofball, but he's not wrong when he says there's always a bull market somewhere, right. On his show. Right. There is, but usually he's not going to help you find it until it's too late. And then <laughs> he's going to be all over it, but that's beside the point. But, but you know, if, if you hear from certain brilliant people, and there are people who consider themselves pretty brilliant out there that will tell you that they don't think commodities are an asset class that's investable. That's a very big and bold and horribly incorrect statement. But you do hear some pretty respected people that will voice those types of opinions mm -hmm. and, uh, and really, I think this is the kind of market that can humble everybody, right? right. Even if you're using commodities, it was still, you know, mm -hmm. a, a tough slog. But it does. It displays the value of having, you know, a mousetrap that's got a little more, a, a few more moving pieces than just, again, that traditional right. balanced portfolio, that, you know, fidelity balanced, you know, mm -hmm. type approach or, or the, you know, having... B and D, VT, you know, type of yeah. two-dimensional, you know, portfolio. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, we try to look a little deeper, work a little harder to find pockets of diversification. And, uh, and I think that's worked relatively well yeah. um, for us this quarter overall. And, uh, and yeah, sometimes you do need to be a little bit more creative in terms of your, your choice of assets and your choice of funds. Um, and sometimes holding things like, um, like gold or, or, or commodities or sector specific, uh, equity funds can have its benefits. Right. And it's not necessarily done from a speculative point of view. No, uh, often, oftentimes it's just as, as a source of additional diversification. Right. There, there are assets that could play defense when bonds don't want to. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, you know, I, Another thought just occurred to me, Sil, that like a lot of people who are supposedly pretty smart have been, you know, throwing out statements like Bitcoin has replaced gold as, right. a, 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 you know, that Bitcoin is the new gold. Right. right? How did Bitcoin do during the, during not, the quarter? Not great. Not great. Right. Not great. I mean, so again, it comes down to correlation. Right. Right. Uh, fearful people and, and, and nothing like armed conflict can, can cause, you know, immediate fear yes. and rightfully so right but that like, will bring everyone back to earth fear, fearful people like gold right mm -hmm. and uh but if if you look at at, at bitcoin and stuff it, it trade the correlations are not negative with stocks the correlation is in fact quite positive with stocks mm -hmm. yeah right in particular with tech stocks nasdaq NASDAQs. yeah um it is a new technology so yeah, and I'm not saying that anything against it. I think that right. that 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 um, you know the whole blockchain area of technology, you know, may play a very important role in the future, right? Mm -hmm. But don't own it thinking that it's now the new gold. And instead of gold, I'm going to own Bitcoin because that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, that that. 
I mean, that's a nice idea, and you can make uh, a, a, a pretty, uh, you know, elegant argument that as to why that may be the case. But in practice, that has not that has yeah. not materialized. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, prove it with market data. Mm-hmm. You can't. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I think we're getting close to uh, to our time being up here. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up uh, again. A very eventful quarter, but a overall a quarter that has continued to reward diversification. And uh, for any clients listening, please don't hesitate to reach out, get in touch if uh, you want to discuss any of these topics. And anyone else listening as well, uh, if you uh, wanted to have a chat about maybe your portfolio and discuss the way that it's behaved uh, over the quarter and, and get our, our feedback and our input, we're always happy to, uh, to, to have a chat. Wachter Cotton Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Wachter Cotton Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.